What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 4th, 2020, and this week's episode, Bantamweight Bedlam. We'll be talking everything UFC Fight Island 4 and what's next for our main event winner, Holly Holm. We'll be giving you the latest on the Dana White, Conor McGregor saga. We'll be talking about the change-up in the flyweight title fight next month at UFC 255. And we will close it out by looking forward to Marlon Moraes versus Corey Sanhagen on UFC Fight Island 5 this coming Saturday. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Oh, boy. Okay, counting down. How are you liking Fight Island so far? You the, know the card so far, yeah. It's good. Uh, you know what? Um, last night wasn't the most stacked lineup, but I think that, um, you know, they're just trucking along. The main events have been um, pretty solid, you know, for the first two up, and I'm expecting a lot more, you know? I think that, um, look, we're expecting a sprint to the finish. I mean, Mariah Sanhagen is a decent matchup, but then you got Zombie Ortega. You're going to close it out with um, Gaethje and Habib soon. It's good. I, I am. I'm getting pumped up more as the weeks go by. Natalie, can you believe it's October? No, I cannot. <laughs> like what? This whole thing, you know, the the quarantine life that we're living, like it's already basically been the entire year. I can't believe it. Unreal. But you know what? We're just gonna, as you say, keep on. As you said, the the, the lineup is the the UFC is trucking, and we're gonna keep on trucking. Yeah, I, I keep seeing all this stuff come up, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but this I can already see the made-for-TV movies that will come out by next year. Like it's just the, gonna be two hours of somebody watching Netflix. No, like the <laughs> Halloween, uh, you know, the world forgot, and it's gonna be like you know Disney Channel, like some kids get into mischief because they couldn't go trick or treating. It's gonna be a lot of that kind of programming next year. How could it not be, you know? Dude, I want to see COVID, like a COVID slasher flick. <laughs> you know, everyone's in quarantine. You can't leave your house. And then someone gets murderous. So. That's a saying. good freaking movie right there. <laughs> the COVID <laughs> killer. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we go. As okay. you can see, we've officially moved into fall. Summer is behind us. How sad. But mm. we got plenty of good MMA, like you said. Let's talk about this main event, Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana. Um, you know what? When I predicted Holly, I will be honest, I did not see it being such a one-sided fight. I think that Irene had a great start to the fight. I think that her cardio looked good. I think she was still thrown with speed. I think that she still looked no worse for wear at the end of five rounds, relatively speaking. But let's just be quite honest. I think the movement... The counter striking, the control, you know, the control of the distance. That was just, I honestly, that was arguably one of the most technically sound fights we've ever seen from Holly. I think that, um, you know, more than some of her exciting ones, the Ronda knockout, the Betcha Cohea knockout, that was Holly really showcasing just why she's been a perennial contender for so long since losing the belt. I think that she showed why you know, let's be honest, why has she challenged for the world title so many times? If she had experienced a dramatic drop-off in her abilities since losing the title, it doesn't matter 
that the divisions, you know, especially featherweight, doesn't have much competition. She would not if she had a drop off. She wouldn't be getting those fights. I think she reminded everybody last night. Hey, this is why I've been the number one, number two girl for the last five years. And I think that that was just a great performance. Dude, that was an amazing performance. It it was Holly Holm just getting better with as her UFC career progresses. Superior game plan from her coaches. Superior execution. Superior cardio. I mean, she never got tired. She was circling the cage. I mean, she, you know, I think uh, Dan Hardy wondered, you know, if they had a pedometer, what would the steps be? She just never stopped circling, 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 circling. Her pressure, for someone who's a counter-striker, right? Talk about also now being a pressure fighter. She was pushing forward. That last round was amazing. It started with the head kick as Aldana was trying to get up from her feet after the takedown. Holly Holm was screaming in the cage, just giving it all, her all. It, it reminded me of two things. It reminded me of, of Michelle Waterson in the last round against Angela Hill, which was just you know a few weeks ago. And then it also reminded me of, of my, my glory days before I got, I got pregnant and used to take boxing classes at the UFC gym. And like the last round, they tell everyone, you know, go after the heavy bag, just give it your all. And everyone's screaming and they're hitting it so hard. And that's what it made me think of, like that feeling of you're just you're emptying the gas tank on a heavy bag. In this case, Holly Holm did it on Irene Aldana. Incredible performance. I've, as you said, never seen a better performance from Holly Holm. I was really excited. I picked Aldana, so happy to be wrong because because of how great Holly Holm performed. Irene Aldana, I think, you know, I wondered last week, would there be any side effects from COVID, any fatigue, lingering fatigue? I don't know, but I still was wondering that as I was watching the fight. She could never compute what Holly Holm was, was you know, the 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 programming that Holly Holm was throwing at her. She couldn't get her brain, wrap her brain around it. She couldn't adapt to Holm's movement, even though Holm was just moving in a circle. Irene Adana was stuck in her boxer stance and was just shuffling after her, you know, pushing off the back foot, sliding forward with the front foot, and just doing that for five rounds. That's extremely exhausting. It's ineffective with someone who's moving around you in circles. I wondered why, uh, why Irene Adana never just stopped, tried to shuffle along with her, switch stance. I mean, just try something. She never deviated from that boxer's stance and it cost her the fight, but, but a heck of a performance is, is that's, that's the final, that's the big takeaway. Holly Holm, my goodness, she really showed us that she is truly committed to getting back, uh, into the title shot, uh, title picture. Yeah. I, I want to emphasize it again. You brought it up that finish for Holly. That was, you know, Look, it's not a head kick knockout. It's not one of those sweet finishes that obviously, you know, put her in this position. But man, that was her trying to put an exclamation point. And, you know, short of a finish, when you try to go out there like that and when you're putting on a beating, I think that that's really the best you could do. Um, so um, full credit there. She was trying to go for a finish. And um, that's what you want to see, right? You want to see somebody, you know, still push the envelope. And I think that's why people, you know, that's why Holly's very popular still. I think that, you know, there's a misconception. It's like, no, you go out there, there are people still standing for Holly Holm every time she goes out there. It doesn't matter, you know, the win-loss record in the title fights recently. Which brings it up now. 
So, um, Holly, uh, solid five round performance. I think that was a great indicator of just how good she still is. You know, people talking about her age and is she thinking about the end of her career? Blah, blah, blah. I think she kind of showed you, yeah, she could still get out there and hang with people. Um, Jermaine Durandamy, a great stoppage of Juliana Pena. I think that she just looked good controlling the distance. She defended on the ground. She didn't win, you know, I think that was a 1-1 round before uh, GDR got the finish in the third. But the fact is, that was a great stoppage and a great performance for a veteran also in Jermaine. For my money. So, I want to... Alright, so sit down. I have the crystal ball ready, okay? Okay. Okay. Yeah, Amanda Nunes, Megan Anderson in December. If Megan Anderson wins, there's a good chance there is a rematch. So, I want to put that caveat out there. If Amanda Nunes wins, suddenly things get interesting because... I'll be honest with you, uh, Natalie. Part of me thinks that Amanda took this fight, even though she has a newborn baby, you know, two months out-ish from the fight. I think that she took this fight because she doesn't want to hold up the division, you know, when she could possibly clean it out and then take some time off. Real time off. She tends to keep an active schedule. So, quite bluntly, if she beats Megan Anderson, I could see her taking a break in 2021. I'm not saying the whole year, but I could see, you know, late summer, early fall being when she returns as she spends those crucial months with her family, which is all good. I think that she's earned that spot personally after the way she's run both divisions. But that opens up the options now. Let's say she does try to get back in there spring, early summer. I could see her turning her attention to Aspen Ladd. Aspen is coming off the ACL injury, but she did say she's targeting a spring return. I know how that sounds. You know, she's 1-1. She lost to Jermaine. She picked up a win over Yana Kunitskaya, who's um, struggled a bit in the octagon. But I also look back at it. Remember when Amanda Nunes fought Raquel Pennington, I think about two years ago? I'll say it bluntly, this is just a sign of the times at 135 pounds, you know. Um, quite bluntly, Holly has had her shot. Jermaine has had her shot. Both of them, you know, these were pretty one-sided losses to Amanda Nunes. So if it's just about taking the next girl up, that's just Aspen Ladd by default right now. Or Ketlin Vieira, but I think that Aspen, you know, because... Uh, because of the way it's played out, I just feel like Aspen's gotten a little more of the more of the rub, so to speak, from UFC. Ketlin Vieira could sneak in, but I do feel like they're looking at Aspen personally because she was undefeated, because she'd already had a title eliminator under her belt. Um, in terms of Holly Holm, I think that, oh, and Jermaine for that matter, I think that a rematch just makes sense because, hey, look, you know, you guys both want another shot at the champion. We are expecting Amanda Nunes to win, whether it be Aspen or Ketlin, let's be honest. So if you really want to show you could be that threat, you could do something new, I think a fight against each other is really the only place for either of them to go. I think that even for Holly, fighting an Aspen would be a step back over fighting Jermaine. And in terms of anybody else, they're just not out there, in my opinion. Couple, a couple of of re reactions there. So first, 
if Amanda Nunez does was her was her baby already born? Is that what yep. just happened? Okay. Congratulations, so, Amanda. Congratulations, yes, to both. Now, I if you know if it's anything like my experience, Amanda Nunez is going to be like, oh, my baby's so beautiful. This is amazing. And then like a month later, how soon can I get back to work? <laughs> so maybe she'll come back sooner. I don't know. It's a grind is all I'm saying. Um, but sooner than you were saying uh, summer, fall, right? Uh, but probably not. Probably she's going to stick around, hang out with her baby and uh, with Nina. Okay. So as far as opponents go, after seeing Holly Holm last night, I thought, man, she deserves a title shot. That performance is title shot worthy. Okay, but we've seen it before already, the fight, and we've seen Jermaine, as you, as you reminded us. I would like to see Holly Holm versus Jermaine, especially because this time it'll be at 135, and there was controversy in the first bout when they fought for the belt at 145 with the shots after the bell from Jermaine two times, and uh, late shots, right? So they're both improved. Holly, I think, is clearly the more improved fighter. But Jermaine is tough. She's got excellent striking, and she will move. She won't stay. She won't get stuck the way Aldana got stuck against home. And she's bigger, so I would like to see that fight. But I feel like home earned a rematch. Now, does the UFC want that? Probably not. Probably they would do. They would. They're thinking something more along the lines of what you laid out. You know, get their hot young prospect, give her a shot, just to mix it up. Let Jermaine and Holly, who have already fought for the belt, you know, fight it out amongst themselves, and then winner gets the the next shot. They'll probably do that. But if we're just looking on paper at who deserves it next, I think it's got to be Holly Holm. Um, but you know, they they you know, when we talked last week, it was like this seems like the setup for Aldana to get the title shot. So the UFC was probably a little bit uh, tugging at their collar last night after Holm put on that performance and completely outclassed Aldana because there goes that plan that they were kind of working on. But there's good options. Aspen Ladd doesn't get me excited, but I understand why they would go with her. Again, I think it should be home, but I don't expect it to be. I mean, I, I guess my question would be, okay, so you think um, possibly Holly. I guess my question would be, who would you want to see it at 135 next for Amanda? Take all the other stuff out of it. Yeah, I mean, after her Megan Anderson fight, I would like to see her fight Holly Holm next. It's I know, it makes I sense. It, it I makes know, I, it makes all the sense. I completely get why it makes all the sense. It just I you know I'll say it right now. It's the same thing I have with uh, Izzy rematching Whitaker. Possibly, I just don't see him doing it. I think that um, if you're the champion. You're just kind of looking to continue the march. And even though, yes, uh, Holly's a great uh, fighter, just the same way Whitaker's a great fighter, I just don't see them, you know, trying to run it back. I, I think that if you're Izzy, just the same way as if you're Amanda, hey, you're not, you're not looking at, you know, this... Um, uh, this person, you're, you're looking to just try to sweep it, the board. You want to collect all the names. That way, when people talk about it, it's like, nah, you know, you like, why would he or she go back? She literally beat everybody on that little list of the UFC. So that's my only thing. Um, I'll say it as I think about it. If we're talking about just the next girl up, I, I throw Aspen out there because I felt like that that's what they were setting up. 
Ketlin is the dark horse, but she is very possible right now also. And all of this literally depends on how does that Megan Anderson fight go. Because I think a lot of us are saying, hey, if Amanda just goes out there, takes her down, she could come out of this looking pretty fresh. I mean, she went five rounds with Felicia Spencer, and she didn't look too bad. You know what I mean? So yeah. I completely get why it's just such a debate. But um, yeah, I think this is just a conundrum. We're not going to know anything else until after December, which is, I think, where they're going to... We'll get an idea. I'm sure by that time we'll be hearing about, hey, what's the plan for Ketlin? What's the plan for Holly and Jermaine? And we'll go from there. But I'll just say this right now. This problem is exactly what happens when you have a dominant, active champion like Amanda. It's like literally we're talking about, you know, backup options because all the good ones have already we've already seen. Yeah, and, you know, just hearing you talk about about this uh, right now reminded me of how Nunez beat home. Like that's pretty convincing. And so, yeah, I could see Nunez being like, no, I already defeated that legend. Like, let me, let me, let me knock down a few more of the up and comers and then walk off into the sunset. Right. It's a lot more of an enticing prospect than to have to grind it out again against someone that's really hungry and that already fought you and learned from fighting you and, and all that. So I get it. I get it. <sighs> the Bantamweight world for the women. This is quite something, man. <laughs> all right, we'll figure all that out later on. Um, let, before we move on, Carlos Condit. First victory since about 2015, 2016. I think before he fought Robbie Lawler. You know, so he goes out there. He beats Court McGee. Um, I saw this picture. I don't know if you did, too. So Dan Hardy is doing the post-fight interview and they bring up the fact that it's been 10 years since they fought and Condit knocked them out and they showed young Hardy with the mohawk and I was like, bruh. And then, you know, like you think about it, wow, it's been 10 years and then the immediate next thing that happens, your back, your knees, something feels tight. Like suddenly (laughs) it's like you just hear time and you just feel something ache. Like, ah, like, you know, like that was more flexible 10 years ago. What happened? I think that you, that means that it's time for you to get a red mohawk. You know what? Uh, I feel like the hair dye every time I shower, it'll just go to the brain and I like being <laughs> smarter. So oh, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, um, quite the throwback. Congrats, Condit. I think that was a very feel good victory for a lot of people to see. Tough for Court McGee because he's uh, been trying to get back and on a rough stretch. But um, yeah, I, I saw a lot of people posting. Did y'all forget like who this guy is, Carlos Condit? So yeah, I think that was a. It was cool to see the OG fan support. People who haven't been, you know, who are newer to the game, maybe don't know it. But the people who've been around a lot, they knew exactly what they saw. So that was nice. Let's move on. Let's talk about the latest Conor McGregor, Dana White. So we talked about it, and I'm going to say this right now. I'll admit it. Because Conor caught Dana, he got Dana White to admit, yeah, those are my DMs. In that moment, I also took it too far and was like, oh, yeah, this, so obviously Conor's telling the truth. He's telling the truth about Manny Pacquiao. <clears throat> I'm sorry, yeah. guys. I, I, you know. I accidentally drank the Kool-Aid. You know, like I started pouring my water. I was getting (laughs) pumped up for the show. 
And well, you know, the Kool-Aid man burst through and I took a sip without realizing it. And yeah, I started telling you guys I'm ready to see Pacquiao versus McGregor. That's not going to happen without fans. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm sorry, Natalie. <laughs> I, got, I got a little, uh, you know, overzealous there. But, you know, they are exploring options. Um, Dana now has come out. There's this whole thing. They were going to coach uh, Ultimate Fighter, Habib versus McGregor. Per Ali Abdelaziz, Habib's manager, Habib says that because Conor released the DMs, that's the reason he, Habib, doesn't want to coach against Conor. I'm not sure if I believe that, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, and then now we have this whole, you know, Conor wants to do a charity fight with Poirier, and Poirier's in, and now Dana saying he's offering the fight to Conor and Dustin. Um, and here we are, Natalie. So just your general thoughts on where we're at right now. So I actually, you know, <laughs> regarding Conor Pacquiao, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not completely throwing in the towel on that one, and I'll, that's all I'm going to say. Um, I would have paid whatever million you know, pennies they would ask for, for the, uh, for the pay-per-view, but okay. I, I want to like, before we move on, Dana White, I saw his interview with, um, Robbie Fox. He did say that the Middle East did tell Connor to cease and desist with that message. And that tweet was taken down to my knowledge. Wait, what is the, but what, I mean, what I guess, entity is the Middle East? You know what? I, don't ask. I just know <laughs> I go by what they were willing to go on the record saying. That sounds like some Dana White hogwash right there, but okay, we're going to just move on. Okay. The the fact oh. is the tweet was taken down. Oh, they actually made him take it down, huh? Something happened, but it's like Dana White said, like, you can check it, it's gone. And it's like, yeah, if you could check it that easily, it's probably gone. So That's yeah. bizarre. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll just move on with our lives. Um, so the Connor could be tough thing. When I heard read that reaction from Khabib about Khabib, you know, pulling out because or you know declining the offer because of the the DMs that Connor released, yeah, I rolled my eyes. Give me a break. Why would Khabib care? Does he like love Dana White that much? No, I don't know what the real reason is. He probably, in fact, when I read that, I was like, I I'm surprised that he even entertained doing this tough with Connor to begin with. He was so adamant about never wanting to fight him again. It it didn't even make sense that he was willing to coach with him. So that's strange. I don't believe it. Um, and then Dustin and Connor, that's exciting. Of course it's exciting, but I love the way it was arranged, you know, just on Twitter. The funniest thing to me was the initiation of that, where Connor is, I think he's tweeting to DC saying like, you know, why are you criticizing him for some comments he made about the Pacquiao fight? I think. And then Dustin just responds, Connor, question mark. And I didn't know if that meant, like, is that you? Like, it doesn't sound like your voice. Like, what's going on? Are you okay? I wasn't sure, but it was just kind of funny. I thought he and was then, imitating, like, when Darren Till does that to Robert Whitaker, and he's just always like, Rob, with the question mark. Oh, he does. Okay. Yeah. So I'm out of the loop on that. That's probably what it was. Okay. <laughs> but no, it's the same concept, for sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, I like that it, it all of a sudden turned into, like, I could just see Connor sitting there going like, hey, wait a minute, Dustin, I can, uh, you know, rub his hands together. Let's see how we can get under the UFC skin. 
And so he, he quickly, you know, looks up, what's the charity that Dustin Poirier is involved with? Okay, let's, uh, let's give him an offer he can't refuse. So I liked it. I liked that later on, I think he probably talked to his lawyers or somebody, the, the notion of a fight evolved into, uh, you know, a hard sparring session, uh, no fans, uh, free TV, you know, just the things, the roadblocks that would have prevented him from actually going forward with the fight for charity turned into a sparring session for charity because if two guys are just sparring and they want to put it on the internet, I don't think the UFC can stop them. So that was kind of interesting too. I would rather see that um, than, than now the UFC getting involved and trying to make it a real fight because I like kind of want to see these guys stick it to the UFC a little bit. But of course they realize that they would lose a lot of money. And I think that Connor and, and Dustin kind of, kind of push the UFC against the wall on this one. Um, we'll see what happens, but it seems like they're kind of just moving forward, Connor and Dustin, with this December 12th or something date in Dublin. And uh, I really hope that they go through with it, that it ends up just being a free sparring match that, hey, maybe it turns real competitive, maybe it doesn't. But I, I would like for it to be outside of the UFC's uh, purview. I think that would be super cool. I get it, all the reasons why you're saying it. I, I completely get where you're coming from. I think every time I think about this, I put myself in a lot of different people's shoes. Definitely if you're Connor and you're Dustin, what are you trying to get? What are you trying to do? And then if I'm working, you know, for UFC and Dana, I try to think about it. I know that someone is going to pull something out. It's like, hey, you know. Yeah, you know, knock it off trying to be cute with this free sparring session. You know exactly what you're trying to do. Um, now, I, like I said, I get where you're coming from. I understand the rule bending that they're trying to do. <laughs> but, <clears throat> no, don't, you know. Do, do, like, Dana White is there like, do not make me put the lawyers. Do not make me take the time to put the lawyers out there, Connor. Ooh. Dustin. Do not make me call our lawyer. Do not make me do this when I'm busy. Yeah, we it's have like a U mom says, don't make me call your father. Like, we have a yeah. UFC event every week till, till the end of the year. Do not make me waste my time with this. And Ultimate Fighter, apparently. So, do not do, not do this. Do not make me have to take care of this now. So, I think that that's the attitude the UFC is going to take. Should there get any traction on this with Conor and Dustin. Um, Natalie, I'm going to say this, and uh, I've heard a lot of different people talk about it, and is it the fans? Is it just Dana White is saying, you know what, we can't afford to, you know, uh, like, we can't just leave all that money on the table, having a Conor McGregor fight, no fans. I've said this, like, who are you going to have him fight, like, you know, Jorge and all, like, you want him to win, and, and I'll say it again. They do not want him to fight somebody who could potentially ruin the chance for a rematch because of what, once again, the money. It's an absorbent amount. It's ridiculous, the hype that they can generate. So I think put all that together, it's like, it, it's so tough. I, I heard Chel Sonnen talking about it, and uh, he made up a point. There's a difference between not making money and making less money. And at this point, I'm going to just say it very bluntly, it's obviously going to come down to Dana and the UFC making a decision. But at a certain point, the battle is lost. The fans are not coming back indefinitely. What are we still doing? 
And look, I get it. This isn't a unique problem. Canelo, Wilder Fury, Anthony Joshua, all that, all those guys are dealing with that too in boxing. But I'll just say it again. What are we still waiting on? I think that the time for optimism has passed, if I'm being honest. I feel like, hey, if you honestly don't think that we're going to have fans this by this spring, it's time to stop worrying about that and just get guys out there, fans or no fans. It doesn't matter how much re- gate revenue is lost anymore. Yeah, I agree 100%. Stop putting your stars on ice. That sounded silly <laughs> because stars on ice is a real thing. But stop keeping your, your big names on ice. Conor McGregor, you know, John Jones, whatever. But but even in the boxing world, like, y'all got to just move on with the times. Like, no one's going to be in a crowd in a crowded arena anytime soon. And, and even if we are allowed to, to be, I guess, allowed in quotation marks, um, who's going to want to take the chance? Not as many people as, as, as you'd want. And then does that really, you know, is there really a point? What's the, what's the risk uh, reward balance there? So just move on. Like just, they've already done a great job. They were the first sport back. They're pumping out fights after fight after fight. They have to just, act as if this is the new normal just just that's it embrace it there aren't going to be fans for a long time like uh, you know you watch the nfl games some of the games depend on the city they're in they have a smattering of fans around but like that's it and just get on with it you know i want to bring up a point on nfl with their fans i don't know how much you keep up with it but yeah several teams having minor outbreaks several yeah, players Newton, the titans yeah, yeah i mean like, you know, some people are talking about, yo, this this team is literally out of action. And it's like, respectfully, uh, and I, I'll be honest, I need to Google it. I need to look at it. Did the Titans have fans in their stadium? I don't know. Because if they it's... did, I could tell you one thing. They're not going to have it when they get back. You have this happen. I'm sorry, but I don't see how they're going to do that after literally that just happened to a... And I've heard about it. I've talked to reporters covering it. You've got... um. They are tested multiple times a week for practice, let alone being around games where there's even more personnel. So, you know, I hear that and it's like, to me, that just sends more of a message. Fans are further away than closer when you see that happening because UFC is nice. They're not NFL big. Nothing in America is NFL big. So if NFL, with all the precautions I imagine they're taking... And all the testing they're doing are still having this happen. That, I'll just say it, that does not say to me we are at the point where we are still full steam ahead toward fans in a stadium. I'm sorry, I want to be there too, but I just don't see how those two points would go to that conclusion. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I totally know what you mean. And you're seeing it in movie theaters too. Like They push back the date of uh, the release of Black Widow, of the James Bond movie. They push back Black Widow? Oh, they man. Did, yeah. I love Scarlett Johansson. No, all right, and, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> now Regal Cinemas is saying that they're going to close their theaters because immediately after they announced that the James Bond movie is getting pushed back because they can't keep holding on and waiting. Now, that's a little different because there are just, you know, as far as the theaters go, they don't have any other option. But, like, it's just, look, there's not going to be people in crowded areas for a long time. And we have to just move on, get creative. Um, find different avenues for revenue, you know, to make up for ticket sales, concessions, all that stuff. 
there's got to be something that can be done. I don't know. But let's get these fights, man. Let's see Tyson uh, uh, Wilder. Let's see Connor somebody. Just let's go. Uh, final point before we move on. In your heart today, right now, when do you think we'll see Connor fight? And against who? Just if you had to pick a name, who would it be? I think it's going to be Dustin. It's either going to be this, you know, underground free thing that could get them in trouble, but who cares? Like if I'm if I'm Conor McGregor, I say, come at me, UFC. Like sue me. Let's see what happens. Um, not Dustin. I wouldn't want him to to do that. But you know, maybe Conor Conor can pay his legal fees. Um, and I'm sorry, if they don't that, get a, that is not yeah, going to happen. That's not going to happen. I know. <laughs> But uh, but I think that is going to be the next fight for Conor McGregor. It's either going to be this this free thing, you know, hold your breath, or it's going to be UFC finally having to say, all right, all right, you know, we'll give a little if you give a little. You know, you fight for us, we'll pay you a little more, not too much more, and uh, you know, let's just make uh, let's just shake hands and smile for the picture. We'll get this answer in about three or four weeks, most likely, but. Um... Habib, it, it's all about Habib, in my opinion. I think that um, that's the piece that's gonna that's gonna be the catalyst because obviously, if UFC can set up, if UFC can say Habib, we're gonna have this dollar amount. I think that Habib will change his tune and be like, "How much money?" In in, in that voice that people love so much, it's like <laughs> you you can imagine it. How much money? How much money? Yes. <laughs> And suddenly it's like all the stuff he said about not fighting Connor was, uh, you know, that that's all out the window. It's like, you know, he'll say it in his line. You know, it's not going to be number one BS anymore, is it? So, yeah, that that's my thing is that if that is still an option, which I know that's got to be Dana White's number one option. The one that makes the most money is always the number one option. If that happens, as long as that's on the table, they're going to put that in play. The second that is removed, that is when everything else is going to break. And we're going to see Tony, Dustin, Michael Chandler, Connor, probably Jorge is going to get in the mix eventually. All of these pieces are suddenly going to get moving and guys are going to get matched up. Right here, right now, I predict February for Connor. I think they're just going to be like, look, if we're already got, or or they may even move Jorge Colby to February, put Connor in January. And if they honestly could say, it's like, hey, look, you know, Habib's going with GSP or somebody. Okay, Connor, Dustin Poirier, uh, interim lightweight championship. And that the winner of that gets promoted to champion if Habib retires or GSP retires again. And it's like, and let's just move on. Dustin fights Tony. Connor fights Tony. They fight Michael Chandler. All these matchups just get all the get the ball rolling. Jake Gage is still up there. I think that's what'll happen. I think that if the Habib rematch doesn't happen for Connor, they're just gonna break the dam open and just get all these guys fights. Okay. All right. I I I watch that. Any of those scenarios. <sighs> That was a big segment. <laughs> There's a lot. I could keep going, but we got to, you know. <laughs> I thought we were at the breakdown. I realized we have one more. So yeah. breaking news this week, Cody Garbrandt is out. I think, he, um, what did he say? I want to say it's the shoulder. It might, oh, he tore it his might, bicep. Oh, the bicep. bicep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, he is out of the fight on November 21st against Davison Figueredo. Figueredo will now take on Alex Perez. Alex Perez, you know, he's on a roll. He was going to fight Brandon Moreno on the undercard. Obviously, that fight was set up as a backup. And, well, they're taking advantage of it. Brandon Moreno's fighting Brandon Royval now. But the point is, no Cody to headline this card. Um, Natalie, first off, uh, Alex Perez, Davison Figueredo. Um, I want to give Perez his full credit. He is out there. He is a pro fighter. He is fighting in the flyweight division and winning. It It's Davison Figueredo. I do want to acknowledge that you are taking on the man of the moment at 125 pounds who's on a roll. And I think that's a big challenge for anybody right now. Cody included. Yeah, Cody included. Um, but I got to tell you, Alex Perez, I'm sure I've seen him fight because we watch so much MMA, but the the name didn't, re- like the face didn't come to mind right away. Um, but then I, you know, went back and looked and I was like, okay, yeah, I saw the Juicy A Formiga fight. All right. But that's, uh, I mean, you know, lucky him that he got that shot. But then also good luck because Davidson Figueredo, as we've seen against, um, a, a really strong Joseph Benavides got, you know, just obliterated him. So anyone who fights Davison right now is, it's going to be uh, an exciting fight because either they're going to be just as good and it's going to be a back and forth, or you're going to see an exciting finish from Davison. So um, the Garbrandt fight obviously would have been the most exciting coming off of that amazing knockout he had of Pedro Munoz, the confidence, the cockiness that Garbrandt walks around with. But, you know, he got COVID at some point in the summer, I think he said, and then went back to training. He didn't specifically say this, but I think he was sort of alluding to maybe his body wasn't back to snuff yet when he went into training. And he, you know, caused a a pretty serious bicep tear that he was uh, like working, putting, putting his bicep through the paces, like a normal workout, training, sparring before he realized that it was a really serious injury he thought it was just you know soreness or whatever and then he woke up and his arm was swollen so uh that's a big deal and um you know he's just wanting to come back like by december or something he said (laughs) which is seems kind of a crazy fast turnaround for some kind of injury like that but in any case back to davison that's uh he's a heck of a champion with only having the belt you know having just won the belt but we saw his two performances back to back against benavides so it's an exciting fight, but, you know, as I'm sure, I'm sure people are wondering, is it the, 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 the most exciting fight for 64.99? I don't know. No, and that's uh, to my next point. Um, I, I get what you're saying on everything. I think with Cody, you never want to be in a position, because I'll be honest, I don't know if Cody's status as a title challenger is as secure as other guys. Like Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa got hurt. Paulo Costa is still the next title contender. I don't know if that's the case for Cody. Certainly not at uh, 135, but 125, um, you know, yes, his star power. But I think that as you get these guys rolling and fighting, that may become a little less, you know set in stone depending on his layoff so i get why he's trying to give a um a short timetable regardless of how bad the injury may or may not be in reality so i do acknowledge that um i will say this before we move on to too much 
what is going on with the Aljamain Sterling-Peter Yan fight? I feel like, you know, every week an event that goes by and we get closer, it's like, uh, you know, the only thing I can imagine is that they don't want to announce it too far in advance, but very bluntly, it may not happen till February because... What? Uh, okay. Like why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I think that, look, um, assuming things hold, we're expecting a third trip to Fight Island in 2021. If Jan can't come to United States this year, okay, he wasn't going to come back for this run on Fight Island... Well, what else are we doing? You know, like, what else can we do? You know, and I'll say this respectfully. They announced Tony versus Habib last year on Thanksgiving-ish. This is... Peter Jan is not a fighter who gets the five-month announcement. I think that they feel like they can, you know... That doesn't need as much of a notice. I think that they're probably going to wait and see and we'll hear about it in December. Or uh, maybe late October, you know, or late November, you know. Yeah, that that seems about right. So, and uh, but yeah. I bring that up because if Cody doesn't fight at one twenty-five, well, what's going on at one thirty-five? Not a title shot. If it's uh, Aljo is still waiting until February. Anyway, my point is that's where we're at with them. Um, in terms of the pay per view, I'm not gonna lie, and you br- you said it very well. It's all about selling it, and I said this when the last... I think you were off when they announced the fight. It Cody Garbrandt with Davison and Valentina was a big part of the sell. You're talking about selling pay-per-views. You're talking about a company that tries to sell a pay-per-view a month to as many people as possible. Part of that means you always... That's why they do the title fights. You want the biggest stars. You want to put yourself in the best position. I cannot tell you with confidence that Davison versus Alex gets a lot of people to hit purchase and put in their credit card number. You know what I mean? And and that includes with Valentina because I'm not going to rehash it, but Valentina is in a David versus Goliath and she's Goliath in the co-main. So with Jennifer Maya. So you put all that together, you're talking about people will most likely, uh, I'm hearing numbers are great for Adesanya Costa. A lot of people probably going to buy Habib. They're talking about a triple header possibly in December with Kamaru and Megan. And I'm sure they're considering maybe Pewter Young. I know I just said it, but you know, I'm assuming they're looking at some stuff, right? Put all this together you know, it's a, it's a hard sell in November as we gear up for the holidays, if I'm being quite honest with you. So, and I heard this get talked about, what about possibly Tony versus Dustin, similar to when they added Tony Cowboy to the Cejudo Valentina card last year? That clearly pushed that card over the hump. Something like that going on, I think that that is very possible. Uh, Michael Chandler could be in the mix there for against somebody. Um, it has to be Tony or Dustin though to really sell those pay per views. But you put all that together, suddenly having that as a tr- little mini triple header, that could work possibly. <clears throat> I like Tony Michael Chandler actually. That's interesting. Um, we've been talking about 
the killers at 155, the top five for so long, it's refreshing to have someone new that we're familiar with, new to the UFC, slot right into that uh, to that grouping with Michael Chandler. And it's just a nice little mix-up, a nice way to mix it up. So we can add him to the conversation, um, but we don't know how he's going to perform, obviously. And we've had a lot of folks come over from other promotions that were top dogs there and didn't perform well on their debut or ever at all. Marlon Marais didn't do well on his debut, but turned out to be amazing. Um, uh, Will Brooks came over, kind of fizzled out, right, from Bellator. And uh, Justin Gaethje, obviously. He had two losses in his first in his first two fights, but then look at him now, just amazing, like one of the best fighters ever. So um, a lot uh, to consider. You can do a lot of nice, you know, packaging in the... Uh, uh, UFC countdown or, you know, whatever videos they do for this, for this card. Um, so I like Chandler. I, I think that's what I'm going to put my energy towards Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler. That that's interesting. I like it just not as much as Tony Dustin. And I'll say this, Michael Chandler's great. If you follow MMA, like we do, you get why that's a big fight. People who don't follow as much MMA, it's easier to sell Tony Dustin. And I think that if the point is getting people to buy this pay-per-view because it doesn't have as much help, I think that that's the key. I think that that's why Tony Dustin, if they're going to make it happen. But um, yeah, the point is you need something to help bolster it a little bit. And I'll say this. I think that the UFC is going to be hearing the fans and be making those moves. Um, we saw it last year, about this two years ago, sorry, with... um. The Daniel Cormier, Derek Lewis one, they heard people see Valentina versus Sarge. They said, that's not cutting it, Dana. They made something happen. I'm pretty sure they'll try to make something happen here as well. So, But yeah, Tony versus Dustin is my idea. If you're going to try to get that thing over the hump, that's going to be the one I think that they go with. And here we are once again. <laughs> I know I've named a couple episodes, Bantamweight, Bedlam. It just works when there's a oh. lot of big bantamweight fights. Maybe what pre about bantamweight bonanza. That's the next time we have a bantamweight okay. bedlam. We'll do bantamweight bonanza next time. But I, yes, I do like it for the record. Um, we got another Bananas big one for bantamweight. That could be the third one. You just want to? Do you want like a whole series like Fast and Furious? Going. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep going. So. We're gonna have like nine bantamweight themed episodes like Fast and Furious. I'm going bonkers for bantamweight, uh, you know, so. Oh, gosh. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, um, we're talking about the bantamweight division for the men after, with Cody. This one, high stakes. Marlon Moraes, Corey Sanhagen. A lot of people felt like that Piotr Jan fight should have gone to Marlon after he beat Jose Aldo. This, not for nothing, is very crucial. I think that for Corey, especially, if you want to stay in that top four top five in the in the hunt so to speak this is a must win and if you're Marlon Moraes I don't think it's a stretch to say a win here gets you an immediate title shot after Aljo you don't have to fight anybody else so this is a big one uh Natalie what are your thoughts and also do you have a few x's and o's to break down a little bit so you know Corey Sanhagen really unique um like a body type for this division normally well I should say he's the he's the outlier right he's just tall lanky really long 
So he's he's always going to be bigger than his opponents, um, you know, height-wise, and he's going to have that reach advantage. And then the way he uses his body is interesting, too. When we have the smaller fighters, they're usually really fast, in and out, lots of movement. Sanhagen is fluid, you know, relaxed. He has his hands down. He's really creative the way he he uses that, that reach advantage that he has, his long limbs, his spinning kicks. So it's always an, excuse me, always an interesting matchup when he fights any of the, the bigger names in this division. We saw what happened with Aljamain Sterling, though. He got cornered, taken down, choked out. Happened pretty fast. Uh, I actually did, did not pick him to win. Oh, I'm sorry. I did not pick Aljamain Sterling to win. I picked Sanhagen to win. So I was like kind of like stunned when he got finished so quickly. Marlon Moraes is a tricky opponent because we saw what he can do to Aljamain Sterling, speaking of, right, with that, that uh, knee to the face, round one. Jimmy Rivera also finished him in round one. Uh, I just watched the Austin Sal fight, guillotine round one. So he's he's pretty aggressive. He's he's very muscular. He's fast. He has power in his hands. And uh, but then you look at an opponent like Henry Cejudo, right? Where he was beating Cejudo round one. It looked like this is it. Cejudo bit off more than he could chew. Was over, but he dug deep and he was, went next level on Rice and finished him. So um, it's really interesting that. It, it was just like a next, like a different type of human that he faced in Cejudo. And uh, so I'm curious to see what Marlon Moraes brings out in Sanhagen coming off that loss. He's looking for redemption. I'm, I'm a little unsure here how this is going to play out. So I'm curious to hear your breakdown. But, but that's how I see things just, you know, right off the bat. I think this is subtly one of the more one of the best tests that Marlon Moraes could get because I think that when you talk about a fight like this yeah that just raw horsepower behind that engine for Marlon that you know you see a guy like Corey Sanhagen you watch you think about the fight with Aljo yeah you do think about that explosiveness just really mowing down the you know just chopping down that tree like a buzzsaw and you know Corey Sanhagen you know he's taking too much damage early and he gets a finish from Mar- you know finish from Marlon that being said, I do want to give full credit. Corey Sanhagen was on a great run. He was putting a lot of it together. People in the know were saying, look, I know Aljo is Aljo, but Corey Sanhagen is a very talented guy at 135 himself. Mm-hmm. I think that if Corey Sanhagen can, you know, stay out of the range of a lot of that power, if he could keep this fight on the feet and get, stay in his, uh, the dominant positions, this over 25 minutes... Suddenly, this is a test. Suddenly, you're up against some, you know, physically. Marlon can't just overpower him. I mean, he's going to have to do it differently. He isn't going to be the bigger man. Corey Sanhagen's a lot taller. But you're going to have a scenario where Marlon's cardio could get pushed because he's having trouble hitting that one-hit kill. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think when you put all that together, this is a great test. I think for Corey, your durability is going to get tested against Marlon Moraes. I think that your footwork and just how technical you are against, not that Marlon's just a brawler, but we know he's looking to throw with power, Corey with more finesse. That's going to get tested. And, you know, I already broke it down for Moraes is going to be his cardio and just his IQ if he isn't able to just keep coming forward, keep doing damage and set up those openings. 
once again, 25 minutes is a very challenging fight. That being said, and uh, are you ready for picks, or do you want to add I'm anything ready, else? I'm ready. I'm ready for picks. Let's do it. Um, I think that Marlon doesn't get as much credit. I think people see those muscles. I think people look at his losses, and they think, well, you know, he kind of needs to overpower you. Kind of, but I think when you watch the fight with Jose Aldo, this is another guy, I think a little bit taller, very fast, very multifaceted, and Marlon still kind of picked up the pace and technically speaking, hung with a very technically sound fighter in Jose. I think that um, as good as Corey is, I don't know if he's tit for tat as technically, you know, proficient as uh, Aldo. I think that just Aldo's bag of tricks is a little deeper. And I think that Marlon doesn't get the credit for how he's able to work against that. So I do believe even if this gets, you know, even if it's not one-way traffic, I think that Marlon Moraes is going to, similar to some other fights we've seen, just stay ahead in the right positions, land a couple more shots, do a little more damage, and that's going to steal the fight for him. So I'm going to go Marlon Moraes. Third round TKO. I think oh. that Corey's going to be tough, but I think that Marlon's going to find it late. Okay. I like it. It makes sense and makes me think my pick is kooky, but I'm going to go with it anyway. <laughs> I'm going to stick to I'm going to stick with Corey Sanhagen even though I was wrong last time. Algermain beat him. I'm going to I'm going to go with him again. I think he's going to be able to I you know, I hear you on the cardio, you know, the the build of Marlon Marais, is he going to be able to maintain his cardio through five rounds? I hear what you're saying, but I still think it is going to be an issue. If Sanhagen can keep keep that distance, just touching him, touching him, touching him, and then go in for, for the kill if he has an opportunity. If not, just keep touching him till you get to the end. So I'm picking Corey Sanhagen. Uh, I actually think it's just going to be Corey Sanhagen by decision, but uh, but he could find an opening there. I'm not sure. But I think he's going to be able to, to stay uh, just out of range. He'll get some. He'll eat some leg kicks, but I think he's going to be able to to, to use his length and, uh, and and hit Marias more than Marias can hit him. So Sanhagen by decision. All right. Well, there we go. We are split on another main event. I feel like we're not in sync anymore. This is very concerning. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So uh, Natalie has Corey Sanhagen. I'm going to go with Magic Marlon Marais for this coming Saturday's fight. Um, that one, just a solid main event. I think that's similar to Holly versus Aldana. I think that on paper, you know, this is important for both players to move forward. And when you have a fight like that, I think you tend to get a very good performance out of the guys. So I think that'll be a good one. Natalie, next week, we will be talking about it. The man who had to make a choice in March. <laughs> and the zombie who is rising from the dead. Well, he's not really rising from the dead. He's been full of life lately. But Brian Ortega versus the Korean zombie. Um, what are your thoughts? Because this is obviously a fight that has a lot of people excited. A lot of the Fight Island people are like, oh, like this is, you know, outside of the pay-per-views, this is the one just off of this fight. So what do you think? Yeah, this is going to be a war and, and, and war, you know, in this instance could be short, you know, a quick, a quick war or a long drawn out war, but they're going to go after each other. Even if Brian Ortega hadn't slapped Korean Zombie's friend, um, whenever he did it, I don't even remember when it was. 
and, and, and therefore create this like, you know, animosity, this beef. Even if he hadn't done that, it would have been a war. But now it's personal. Now these guys are aggrieved. And so they're going to go at it. And it's one of those where like, y'all just better, you know, be seated five minutes before so that you don't miss anything before this fight starts. It's going to be, it's going to be insane. Just think about the fights they've had. Brian Ortega with Max Holloway, uh, just eating punch after punch after punch, not going down. Now, that was not a good game plan, but it showed what a warrior spirit he has. Korean Zombie, that fight against, um, was it Yair Rodriguez, right? My phone yep. <laughs> blinking out. I mean, that's r- ridiculous, incredible. So, and then he fought, uh, who did he uh, fight Frankie. After yes. So, I mean, and just like kind of, kind of blitzed through him. So these guys are, are chomping at the bit. It's a heck of a fight. Perfect for Fight Island. Uh, yeah, I love it. For, um, stylistically, I mean, Brian Ortega's big and powerful and great jiu-jitsu. Obviously, Korean Zombie is, you know, when he touches you, you feel like you're the walking dead. So <laughs> I think that that just makes it so much fun. Um, obviously, the history. Um, I will say this. I don't think that the bad blood is going to create a bad brawl. I think that they're, for all the talk, they're actually going to be very technical. But I'm going to save what's left and what happens for next Saturday's show. Um, Natalie, thank you once again for joining me. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, stay safe out there, and we'll be back next week.